We will be looking at two passages of scripture this morning. And we're looking at first at in the Old Testament to Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 22, which is the event of the dream that Jacob receives from the Lord at the place called that he later calls Bethel, the house of the Lord. Jacob has just been sent away from his own home because of fear of reprisal, fear of retaliation from his brother Esau because he, Jacob, received the blessing instead of his brother Esau. And as he is on this journey, he comes to Bethel, Luz, first of all, and then later called Bethel. And we pick up the reading in verse 10 of chapter 28. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. You'll find that on page, by the way, 27 of your Bibles. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall be spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. And then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that I give you, that all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. God, with his disciples in the Old Testament and through Jesus Christ calling disciples in the New Testament. We have an account of that in John chapter 1, page 1054 in your pew Bibles, if you were following along here in the sanctuary. Calling of the first disciples of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist has been active, as we read in the first part of this chapter, in preparing the way for the coming of Jesus Christ, as was his call. 
And then we read in verse 35, the next day again, John was standing, that is John the Baptist, with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. And so they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who had heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John? You shall be called Cephas, which is the Aramaic word for rock, which means in the Greek, Peter, for rock as well. May God add a blessing to the reading of his holy word. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the ministry of the Church of Jesus Christ today is all about discipleship. Discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. The message of the scriptures is a call to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. And the message of the scriptures calls us more than just to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. And faithful disciples of Jesus Christ are called to make disciples, to share that excitement of the story of the gospel that has penetrated into our hearts with others. That's the responsibility of members of the church and the responsibility of the ministry of the church has been throughout the ages and continues today. And the ministry that the Lord has called me to over, over 40 years now of ministry has been in different ways of doing that kind of a discipleship ministry. And part of that ministry and now most recently has been in a teaching ministry with Miami International Seminary as a professor not only, but now also then in the last 12 years or so, as the academic dean for the seminary, making sure that those who are being trained for gospel ministry are being trained faithfully for what the Lord is calling them to do. What a challenge it is for the entire church and you as a congregation as a part of that in supporting this missionary amongst others in the discipling of the nations around us in our community those who have come in from other nations and discipling nations away from our community beyond the borders of our own community and in Canada not only, but beyond the borders of our country and countries, and, and countries around the world today. God's call to us as disciples and makers of disciples is clear and will become more clear as we look at that in both services of our worship today I divided the message into two because this message actually comes as a part of 
of a course or conferences that I teach for a course on discipleship. For those who are a part of, I do all my teaching in Latin America, travel throughout Latin America teaching about this. Eight-hour conferences. I'm going to spare you all eight hours of the conference, but I have snuck a portion of that for our messages for today in terms of the biblical foundation and the call to discipleship and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. In the passage that we have before us today, we see a call that comes as a basis of that through a dream. In Genesis chapter 28, a dream of Jacob's ladder, sometimes called a stairway. Nothing new about dreams in the scriptures. God uses dreams to speak to people over and over. Abraham, Jacob here, Joseph, Samuel, Nathan, Solomon, Daniel, Zechariah, Joseph, Peter, Paul, Ananias. That's 12 of many more in the scriptures to whom God comes in a dream to speak to them, calling them to do and to act on what that dream has presented to them. Not only does God come to his covenant people by way of dreams, but he also comes by way of dream to those who are not a part of the covenant community. Think of Abimelech, who was the cupbearer at the time of Joseph, received a dream. Think of Pharaoh, not a follower of Christ, received a dream. Nebuchadnezzar, the wise men, Cornelius, who initially received a dream when he didn't know the Lord, but soon came to follow the Lord and was a faithful and ardent disciple of Jesus Christ and declared his glory. Seven books of the Bible are based on dreams. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Obadiah, Nahum, Habakkuk, the book of Revelation, dreams. Dreams are an important way in which God has spoken to his people, particularly as we see that in the scriptures. And we have that now here before us as well. And as we look at the points, you can see all six points in your bulletin for the three for this morning and for this afternoon as well. This morning we're going to be looking at how God initiates fellowship with Christ. You can't be a disciple unless you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ whom we follow as his disciples. But God provides for his disciples. That's the second point that we'll look at this morning. And that initiation of fellowship and that provision of the fellowship comes through the person of Jesus Christ, who is the promise fulfilled in us. And in each one of those three, we're going to be looking at the event of Jacob. We're going to be looking at how Christ fulfills that, and we're going to be looking at how you and I are called today for that. So there's nine points this morning and nine points this afternoon. How about that? See if we can follow along. Beginning with God initiating fellowship through Jesus Christ. With the dream of Jacob, we see that. We see a lot of similarities between what's happening in the account of the dream that Jacob receives 
and how some of these things come to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. There's a sense in which Jacob, obviously, then, as we read this, is not just an individual story pulled out and placed in and applied to what happened about 1,750 years before Christ when Jacob received this dream. But it is a picture of what comes for Christ 1,750 or 1,800 years later. What Jacob is experiencing points us to Jesus Christ. And one of the first things that we note about the account of this particular dream is that we have to ask, well, so Jacob is in fellowship with God. Well, who initiates that fellowship? Who initiates that relationship? Discipleship is relationship. For Jacob, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, follower of God, the Father, who initiated that? We might think that Jacob is out there looking for God and saying, God, are you out there somewhere? I want to be in fellowship with you. But then when we read that, what comes here is, it's not Jacob who reaches out to God and, and says, hey, God, let's make a deal. Can we negotiate something? But it is God who first comes to Jacob. As a matter of fact, Jacob is sleeping, passive. He's in a dream. He doesn't take the first step in his relationship with God, the Father of all believers. He's passive. God is the one who makes the first step, takes the first step in his relationship with Jacob, with Isaac, his father, with Abraham, his grandfather, with all of his descendants that follow, and with you and me today. So at the heart of that relationship is, of, of discipleship then is a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a covenant relationship in which God initiates that covenant. And God calls you and me as his disciples and says, I will promise to be your God. And we respond to him by saying, and we will be your disciples. We will be your people. Jacob had received the blessing that Abraham passed on, that Isaac had passed on to him. But it is in this event that this blessing now comes to its fruition and then Jacob is nudged and called to be a faithful follower. God activating, activating, activating that blessing for Jacob in this promise. And this is precisely what we see fulfilled in Jesus Christ. When Jesus calls us to be disciples, we might say that there might be a comparison in terms of an illustrative way in which there is a handshake that takes place in this relationship. If you meet somebody for the first time and begin to establish a relationship, oftentimes the first thing we do is say, pleased to meet you. I just met some folks here from the Philippines that are here for the first time. Brother Ed introduced me to them. First thing I did is shake their hands. The hand of fellowship. That's what we do. What we see happening here is that with that handshake between God and man, it is not me or you 
extending our hand of fellowship first, but it is God who extends his hand of fellowship, inviting us, calling us, encouraging us, nudging us through different things that happen in our lives, through the preaching of the word, through the presentation of the gospel, through experiences that we go through to be in fellowship with him. It's not us who reach out to God and say, hey, God, can we talk a minute? I want to establish a relationship. It is God who calls you and me, makes things happen in our lives through events, brings us into contact with someone who is a follower of Jesus Christ and we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or if we have wandered away from the gospel of Jesus Christ and we have been doing our own thing, it is we who are nudged by God's people, by God, through his people, once again challenged to get back in step as a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what happens also in the account of John chapter 1. In verses 35 to 37, first of all, we see the precise call of those first two disciples. John the Baptist has been preparing the way. And as he is going through the countryside, preparing the way, he sees Jesus, the one who he has been preparing the way for, walking by. He has his own disciples, two of them at least we see here that are following with him. John has his followers. But he points out to this man, Jesus Christ, who is walking by. And he says, there he is. Behold, the Lamb of God. And we read that the two disciples whom we later find to be Andrew and Peter, the first two disciples, drop everything, leave John behind, and follow Jesus. And John is not uptight about that. John is not at all upset that they have ceased to be his disciples and now are following Jesus. That's why John was called. That was his job. That was his responsibility. That was his mission as a disciple of Jesus Christ to prepare the way so that those who would follow him would then eventually follow Jesus Christ. And that's what we have happening here with Andrew and with Peter. He, John pointing others to Jesus Christ. You and I as fellow disciples of Jesus Christ called upon to point others to Jesus Christ, to experience what we have in our relationship with him. And we need to continue to do that it's because there are many religions, all religions in the world, except for Christianity, the God of the Bible. All religions. We'll talk about how important it is for People have a sense of wanting to have a relationship with God and they reaching out to God. Every religion in the world, name it and you've got it. Every religion in the world except for Christianity is based on mankind reaching out, looking for something that is empty in their lives. I've taught courses on world religions and every one of them follows that model. And it seems natural because we are humanistic in the way we, we see things. We see things from a, a human perspective and, and we see only from our own perspective what's happening in a relationship. But God says, your perspective doesn't really matter because this is all about me. It's not about you. It's about me calling faithful disciples and calling them away from their sin to follow me. 
And that's what happens. God initiating, saying, this is about me and my glory. To have the church filled with Christ's disciples. And to seek others so that they may also fill in the spaces in the pew to follow Jesus Christ as well. And God doesn't leave us alone in that. He initiates that contact with us, calls us to be his disciples. We perhaps frighteningly at first say, we will follow you, but we don't know exactly what that means. That's okay. I'm not sure that I have what it takes to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You're right. You don't have what it takes. God has what it takes to fill you and to provide for you what you need to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. God has what it takes to help you to be a disciple maker, calling others to be followers of Jesus Christ. You don't have it. I don't have it. I have a doctor's degree in theology. I don't have it. God has it. And he has it provided for us in our lives. Jacob sensed that providing hand of God. We read in the earlier part of Genesis 27 how he had deceived his brother Esau to get the birthright, the blessing from Isaac, and then received that blessing. Jacob is in trouble because he had sinned. He had cheated his brother. And his brother now is retaliating, wants to retaliate against them, is going to go after him. Sibling, blood relative, blood brother. Angry because Jacob, the second born, received the blessing instead of him. And so Jacob has to leave the comforts of the covenant community that he knew of his family and his siblings that were part of Isaac's and Rebekah's, his mother's family, called upon to leave to go to Haran now, a place where there were no covenant people. Well, there were a few. And he's challenged by Isaac in this passage also to look for a wife among the family that Isaac has over there that are a part of that covenant community, of which there are few. But he's about to look for them. So Jacob is sent on his way with very little little more than maybe a shirt on his back and maybe a lunch pack for a couple of days put together by his mother, Rebecca. Okay, Jacob, I want you to be safe. Here's some lunch. Here's something for your first couple of days. You're going to have to look for yourself for the rest of the trip. God provided for Jacob along the way. We know that because in, in chapters 28 and 29 and 30 and 31 and 32, we read about the blessing and how God has provided for Jacob and different experiences and different situations. But after 20 years of that time period, Jacob ends up having a large family, becomes very, very, very wealthy because of God's providing hand. God has kept his promise to provide for Jacob, a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. Providing for him in the way that Jesus Christ provides for us. Oh, there are others who experienced sin and had to leave the comforts of that symbolic fellowship with God. I think of Adam and Eve, our first parents, in the Garden of Eden. That Garden of Eden was a symbol of fellowship with God. It was a perfect relationship. 
They communed with God daily. It was a perfect relationship between God and, and Adam and Eve, and between Adam and Eve and God, it was beautiful until sin came, until Eve sees the fruit of the tree and tempted by Satan who says to her, did God really say that you should not take of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil? And Eve said, yes, that's what he said, but the way you're asking that question now, maybe, maybe he meant something different. Is that what you're saying? Yes, said Satan. I want you to think of it this way, et cetera, and so on. And then sin, she takes of the fruit and not only takes of the fruit, but passes it along to her husband. And any good husband knows that whatever mama provides for you, you eat. And he ate, falling into sin. And they were expelled from communion with God by being expelled from the Garden of Eden. The comforts of that fellowship with God, expelled from that comfort, sin came, broke that relationship with God, and now we see this taking place. Jesus, Jesus Christ, also had to leave the comforts of heaven, of a relationship with God, on the throne of God, with, with God and the throne of God in heaven, leaving that to come to earth to dwell among us of all people, to dwell here on earth. Why? Because of sin. Not for his own sin, though, but because of the sin that you and I have committed in our lives. God, through his son Jesus Christ, sends his son because of sin in his life, in our lives. And as we see that taking place, then we begin to see that Jesus Christ is taking the punishment and helping us to resolve that relationship that has been broken because of the sin in your life and in mine. No longer do we have to live in a broken relationship with God. We now have, through Jesus Christ, who bears the consequences of that sin, symbolized in what happened to Jacob, symbolized in what happened to Adam and Eve, physically in their own life experience, now spiritually we have that resolved because of the gift of God's Son, Jesus Christ. We see that in the first disciples as well. In verses 38 and 39 of John chapter 1, after Simon and Andrew, or Peter and Andrew leave John to follow Jesus, Jesus turns to them and he asks them, verses 38 and 39, what are you seeking? And they answer correctly. We, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? We, we, we want to be where you are. We want to follow you. Show me the way. Where, where are you staying? And from then on, they, for the rest of that day, they follow Jesus. Not only for the rest of that day, but for the three years to follow before Christ goes to the cross. They also follow Jesus. It was a call to discipleship. And to make disciples. The scriptures remind us that the primary call to make disciples in the life of his children are moms and dads in their own homes. That's where it starts. It starts in the home. We as parents are called upon to raise our children 
to be followers of Jesus Christ. I see many children here this morning hearing the gospel, going to church, being taught by mom and dad through the devotions at home and answering sometimes tough questions about the Bible at home. That's where it starts. It's a huge task. And so as we raise our children in, the, in, the, in, in, in more formal education, some choose to raise their children in formal education, in homeschooling, in their own homes, taking the primary responsibility. Some take that primary responsibility to train their children and share it with other parents in the Christian schools. In our community, we have different Christian schools that our children are sent to in the elementary and in the high school levels too. That's the second leg of that three-legged stool of discipleship that I like to call. First is the family. The second leg is the school. The third leg is the church because we bring them to church. And what we are teaching our children in our homes as a primary responsibility is being shared and the same gospel message, the same teaching is being supported by the teachers and the administration of the Christian schools and also being shared by teachers and counselors and Bible teachers and pastors and elders and deacons and leaders of different groups within the church, that same gospel, it's consistent because that same gospel is being followed, is following the teachings of the scriptures as a part of that. God calls us to that in our own lives. God initiates his relationship with us He provides for us everything that we need as parents through the schools, in the church, to be disciples and to call others to make disciples as well. All of this because of what Jesus Christ has done, promise fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that's our third point, briefly. Consider how Jacob responded to this promise of Jesus Christ. In verse 20, he says, If God will be with me, And will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. These are kind of words of the summary of the covenant. I will be your God, says God, and you will be my people. Jacob is saying, well, if you will be my God, then I will be your people. I will be your disciple. The Lord shall be my God. Now, notice that the first word in this verse says if. Verse 20. This is not an if of uncertainty. If I live to be 70 years old then I, and I have enough money, then I'm going to travel to Europe. If. I'm not sure if I will live to be 70. I'm not sure if I will have enough money to be able to go to Europe by that time. But if I do, that's uncertainty. But this is not that if. Neither is, is this an if of making a deal. God, if, if you will do this, then I will do this. If you will bless me, then I will follow you. If you won't bless me, then I won't follow you. It's not that kind of a deal-making. We are not in negotiation with God. God calls us to be his people unilaterally without any impetus on our part except for feeling and sensing the guiding movement of God's Holy Spirit within us to receive that invitation. We're not making a deal with God here. He is calling us to be his disciples. And is calling us to make disciples of others. That's God's plan for the church, for the disciples, members of the church of Jesus Christ. 
This is an if of certainty. It is probably better translated, since God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, since that will happen, then I know that the Lord will be my God because you are fulfilling your promise to be my God. That's why you're my God. Not because I am able to make any kind of response outside of the nudging of God's Holy Spirit in my life. It's only because of God's work in my life. Fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jacob responds in three ways, very briefly. First of all, he responds by saying that by committing himself and saying, the Lord will be my God. I will follow him. Secondly, we read about a stone that he sets up. The stone that was on his, under his head as a pillow. He takes that, sets it up, pours oil on it, and that stone becomes a reminder to God's people. So today we don't have reminders of God's people anymore, do we? We don't put up stones. Do we have any stones outside over here to remind us of God's promises? Not a boulder, perhaps, but we have our spiritual stones. I think of the sacraments. Every time a child is baptized, many children here, all of you have been baptized. Babies yet to come now are going to be baptized. We know that. And every time there's a baptism, we as parents have a reminder to us, oh, you know, I also made those promises to my children. We as a congregation have a responsibility to support these parents. It's a reminder to us as they have their children baptized. Stones, the sacraments, the Lord's Supper, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, is again another stone, a reminder of our fellowship with God, him calling us to be his disciple. We celebrate that with the sacraments, the stones of memory in our lives. But in thirdly, Jacob responds in a more tangible way. He says, everything that I have belongs to you, Lord. You have been good to me. You have provided for me. Everything I have belongs to you. I will return now to you a tenth. Is an indication already early on in the scriptures of the tithe. I will give back to you a tenth of all that I have an offering to you and for whatever you need. This is what I do. This is what we have our collections for on Sunday. And this is what we give to Christian causes for. As a part of our thanksgiving to God. For what he has done in initiating his relationship with us as a disciple of him. And providing for us and giving us what we stand in need to make disciples of others. In verse 41 of John chapter 1. We read about Andrew and Peter. The first thing Andrew did, we read in verse 41, was to find his brother Simon, who later is called Peter, and tell him, we have found the Messiah. He's excited. Are you excited to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? And if you're excited to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to tell others within your family, your children, extended family? Are you going to tell others in your workplace? Those who are going off to school shortly, young people and young adults that are heading off to school fairly shortly now, are you going to be telling others at school about what Christ has done for you? Those are a part of our neighborhood. Andrew told his brother Simon, he couldn't keep it to himself, and Simon responded, God's calling his disciples because of the call he has to us. How will you respond 
to that gospel call, first of all, in your life, perhaps you're not even a disciple yet, haven't made that commitment. Now is the time. This is God's call to you. And if you have been called as a disciple of Jesus Christ, as a member, a faithful member of the church of the body of Jesus Christ, you are called then also to be thankful to him and returning to him and recognize that everything you have belongs to him and returning to him what you have. To be used to call others to be disciples of Jesus Christ. How will you respond to the promises of the gospel of Jesus Christ? To be a disciple and to make disciples all nations, including our own neighbors. Amen. Father, we talk about the importance of being disciples, and yet we recognize that we are not always faithful in that. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who paid for, pays for the sins that we commit that keep us from being disciples so that we can once again be called faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would help us to continue to reflect on that even as we return this afternoon to hear more about what this means through Jacob and through the, the disciples that are called by Jesus. Help us to live that out in our lives and help us to have the courage to make disciples of others in our own families, our children, grandparents with their grandchildren, great-grandparents with their great-grandchildren, but outside of our families, with whomever we have and get into contact, we pray that you bless us in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.